Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, and joining me on the other end of the line is Michael Shine. And Michael has a book out called The Hype Handbook. And he said it's actually Michael F. Shine. So we need to get the F in there so that you understand. Um, also, for all of you who are listening and want to take a look uh, at his website, just go to Michael F. Shine, S-C-H-E-I-N.com. That's his website. So we're going to direct you all there. Well, good day. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thanks, Greg. I can't wait. I've been hearing about your show for a long time. It's exciting. And it's funny about that um, that F. You know, all these years, I thought that Shine spelled the way I spelled it. it was a really weird, unusual name. And then it turns out there's another writer who has MichaelShine.com. So that was not fun to, you know, find well, out. You know, so now I'm Michael F. Shine. You know, that's my, that's my name. Michael yeah. F. Shine. I mean, it works and people get it. <laughs> but I think for people that are trying to get what a hype handbook could do you're the guy that give it to them and i want to let him know a bit about you first before we get going too deeply into this he's the author of this book obviously this is a book from 2021 but it's applicable anytime just because it's a couple of years old his articles have appeared in forbes fortune huffington post and psychology day he speaks uh, to international audiences spanning the northeastern United States to the southeastern coast of China. So he covers a lot of territory. As founder and president of a marketing agency called Microfame Media, he's launched campaigns and created content for companies including eBay, Magneto, uh, University of Pennsylvania, Gordon College, University of California, Irvine, United Methodist Publishing House, uh, Recon, LinkedIn and Citrix. Uh, and I think that Recon actually merged, just merged with another company. He also has recently gone to uh, practice with the martial art uh, Wing Chin, giving him yet another similarity with that of Robert Downey Jr. So there you go. And if you want to go to Microfame Media, we'll put a link to Microfame Media up there as well uh, so that people can get to that. But Michael, you know, just kind of getting into this book, uh, in the introduction of the book, you speak about making a career change, and then you ended up working for a company and operating a customer service call center. Probably couldn't be any place better <laughs> to learn about hype in a customer service call center. But you did not think that you'd end up working there for eight years when you did, but you did end up working there for eight years. Um, what did these early years prior to you, you know, writing this book, prior to you developing your media company, teach you about promotion? Interestingly enough, that call center company did start out as a telemarketing company years before I joined. But by the time I joined, it had nothing to do with outbound sales. So I, I got a little bit unlucky because um, I had all the grind of working at a call center company, but it was the kind of call center that uh, picks up the phones for large corporations and gives customer service. So um, 
I really fell into that. It was the last thing I ever thought I would do. I always wanted to be an artist, which is interesting. So I've owned my own business for 11 years and I love it. But um, I wanted to be a writer, like like a novelist for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I got really interested in songwriting and music. And um, when I left college, I told my parents that that's what I was going to do. Uh, by that point, I had convinced them that I was going to write novels because I was pretty good at writing fiction. And um, I, I sprung on them that I was going to play in a band and I, they had a conniption fit. And um, but I did that. And I went to New York City and started a band. And we certainly didn't make it in terms of making a living at it. Uh, but I probably learned more about promotion there than anywhere than than in the call center business, because even though we didn't really make it, we were kind of a punk band and um, had no business getting as far as we did. We, we had a residency at a club called Arlene's Grocery, which is funny because at the time we always wanted to play at CBGB's, which was past its prime because that's where the Ramones and the Talking Heads played. And Arlene's Grocery was a new hip club. And I just went back there. I happened to be in the neighborhood and it's the only like club that's still in the area. It's on the Lower East Side, which is very <laughs> fancy now. And I walked in and the old owner's daughter is working there. And she said that now young people make pilgrimages to Arlene's Grocery because that's where the Strokes played and some of those bands when I was coming up. So we were kind of in that scene, but we played to younger audiences, but we used to sell it out a lot. We had a residency there. We were on TV on a local show that we we hyped our way into. And really, we were big fans of glam rock and punk where it was as much about the antics as it was about the music so we always did really over the top antics to get our name in the local press and and local press in new york is a big deal because it's new york and 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 all of that but you know I, I couldn't make a living at it eventually the band broke up before it got there and i just got the first job i could and i'm you know i'm a hard-working guy and i'm not i'm not too dumb so i climbed the ladder there and i thought it would be a really short thing but before i knew it i was i was an executive at this company that was very brass tacks and I learned a lot about how to be a professional and how to be an adult and how to be a business person. But uh, what was challenging about it is I did lose that creative part of myself and that writing part of myself. And I eventually wanted to go and do something else. And I actually ended up taking the skills that I had learned with the band and using it to build a freelance uh, copywriting business, which eventually turned into my agency. Yeah, well, microframe. And, you know, all of these stories up to this point are really what define, help to define a purpose, person, and what they do in life. I think we're influenced by so many things, people, events, circumstances um, that actually do that. And you state that in this guide you wrote, the Hype Handbook to Personal Career Success, that you will provide the reader with information, insight, and tools for building major buzz around your most cherished project, underline, business, underline, or cause. So we're really speaking to a very broad section here when we talk about hype and where it could be used. You state that it's all about moving minds, grabbing attention, and generating meaningful activity. I'd agree, because look, hey, what is social media trying to do? What is every ad that Google serves up? What is your SEO? What are all these guys talking about all the time? You're trying to get attention and get people to take action. But before we delve into the 12 strategies you outline in the book, 
who do our listeners have to become and what must happen to their mindsets uh, to implement what you speak about in the book? In other words, if they want to become an artist of hype, <laughs> okay, what has to happen to them? Because, you know, this this whole arena today, Michael, around environmentalism, they call it greenwash, right? It's like, hey, well, it's just hyping that you're green because you make plastic bags a different way or you source them from somewhere. Um, address what has to happen in this world today to actually embrace some of this. The The point you make about mindset is probably the most important thing you can do to be successful at attracting the kind of attention you need to be, be successful at anything. I, I think the first thing is to really fix in your mind what I mean by hype, because hype can be a really negative term. And a lot of people think of it that way. Yeah. But I consider hype simply any activities that you do that get a large number of people, people emotional, so that you can move them in the direction that you want. And I got that term from from hip hop from rap, because in the world of hip hop, Hype has always been a positive because they know in the hip hop community that no one is handing them their success on a platter. There's no climbing the corporate ladder in hip hop. So you need to do, you need to get very creative in attracting attention to yourself. And and, and you always have. A hey, question so, for you. Wasn't, yeah. the king, wasn't the king of hype Donald Trump? Oh, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, the, he's the best. I mean, whatever you think about him politically, and again, hype is neither positive nor negative. I mean, it's 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 amoral, right? Like it, yeah. it, it just it's just how how people respond. So yeah. uh, whatever you think about him, he's probably the best in the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but but I guess the point is, when I decided that I couldn't really work in the corporate world anymore for my own sanity, and I left, I had this thing in my head because I had sort of been tamed and made into an adult. <laughs> I had this idea in my head that as long as I was really good at what I did, which was writing and at that time, business writing. And as long as I could sort of study the way things were done, I could crack it. So what I did was I started going out and getting clients and trying to get clients and studying all the latest marketing. So to your point, I, I looked at social media and search engine optimization and I remember Google Plus was a big thing. So I read all this stuff and went to all these seminars about the, you know how to crack Google Plus to market yourself. And you know what? It didn't do very much for me. I mean, the few clients that I got were from word of mouth and I was not doing well. I mean, I, anyone who hired me liked me and kept hiring me so I could make, I could eke out a living, but it was rough. And, um, the, the insight that I had, and I, I do talk about this in the book, is I actually walked past that same club, the one I just went to again recently. I seem to go there every decade or so. But um, I remembered how good I was at what people would call marketing, but I never thought of it as marketing. You know, I mean, we would have a line out the door on a Wednesday night, but I never got together with my bandmates and said, let's study marketing. Let's figure out how to market this. We'd say, let's hype it up. And we would just like have fun and figure out how to crack people's mass psychology, right? So I you said sure, to myself, you sure, Michael, you weren't giving away free weed in there so that the lines were out the door. 
I shall neither I confirm nor I'm, deny. I shall I'm neither just... confirm nor deny that allegation. Yeah, I'm just joking with yeah, you. Yeah, no, I mean that's an excellent. Uh, that's tactic number thirteen. Right? Um, yeah. I don't know. Long, long, long story short, you know, it, it, when I started applying and reapplying some of that kind of colorful, psychologically based attention getting stuff instead of worrying about the technology that timeless stuff and putting my mindset there instead of I have to figure out the newest you know sales funnels or SEO then my business started to take off and that was a big lesson for for me and what led to the book and all of that well I think look when you have fun playing music or you have fun being a media guy one of the keys is to have fun yeah, right? and have people, fun and add color, you know? That's, yeah. That's why people ask me about this show. You know, they go, hey, you know, you're pretty spontaneous and, you know, you've been doing this 17 years. And I said, look, if I didn't have fun every day, there's no reason I'd want to come back on here and do another yeah. podcast. So, you know, when I insert these funny little gestures or whatever, it's because I, I want this to be lively and open and whatever. Um, yeah. So, you know, let's talk about these 12 hype strategies because the bulk of your book is the 12 hype strategies. Let's speak about four of them because we're not going to have time to cover the length of this. And for my listeners, we're going to have a link to the book. Go get the Hype Handbook um, from Michael F. Shine. Uh, we'll the F being the key thing, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a link to Amazon to that. We'll have a link to his website as well. But um, you, you, this hype number two, I just picked randomly. Um, creating your own secret society. I thought that was pretty interesting. You talk about piggybacking principle. Can you speak about this strategy? And what is this piggybacking principle? I've probably made more money for myself and my business and probably for clients as well through this strategy than anything else. I mean, they're all important and they all describe you know, how people react and how people will buy what you're selling. But if I had to pick one, this is the one that you can put into practice quickly and that I've done the best with. And it's the idea that what most hype artists do, people who are really kind of naturally good at attracting attention and really accelerating visibility for their stuff and getting people really emotional they make it seem like all of their success is just happening grassroots. Like their stuff is so good that person by person, people are finding out about it and spreading the word and it's just growing from the ground up. But what almost all of these people do is they piggyback off of the existing success of other people. So um, I tell a story in the book because what fun would talking about hype be without without telling these stories about all these great historical hype artists. Right. But there's this guy, there was this guy, Edward Bernays, who invented public relations, um, like uh, probably about a hundred years ago. And one of the famous things that he did was he got Americans to eat bacon for breakfast as part of their main thing. Like we think of bacon and eggs that, that it's always been around, but that was just not a thing people did um, usually. And he had Beechnut as a client, which was a pork company at the time. Mainly they do a lot of things now, like there's little candies, but they produced a lot, a lot of pork products. And he was. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. But they went and had to go kill all those little pigs so people could have some pork. And they still, and, and it's, it's happening every day, my friend. Hey, well, happy Hanukkah. <laughs> happy Hanukkah because you're not eating pork. <laughs> 
I, 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 I can eat pork with the best of them. I, I gotta say, um, I have not, uh, I, I have not been as kosher as I, as I could be over my life, despite the S C H E I and smelling. Okay. Um, I mean, long story short, basically, this guy needed to get pork production up. So what he did yeah. was he had spent all of this time behind the scenes fostering these relationships with well-placed people. So he knew this one doctor, and he told the doctor, who is this really well-respected guy, although he probably shouldn't have been based on this story, that um, he should do a study on on pork or whatever. So he... um produced the study that said that bacon is the healthiest food for the first meal of the day because it replaces the energy that you lose during sleep. And he sent this study out to 7,000 other doctors who took it as just the study, like the, the truth. And um, yeah, long story short, every doctor in America was was recommending pork to their clients. So it seemed like it just happened. Suddenly everyone was eating pork, you know, <laughs> not pork, but bacon. And, and, and there it was. So, 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 what's the lesson here? The lesson is not that you should pay people off and pay corrupt doctors off and put them in your pocket. The lesson is that if you spend time fostering a tight knit circle around yourself with a lot of kind of um, strategy, strategic thinking about yeah. how can these people in the future, how can I piggyback? off of the following they already have or the visibility they already have in a way that helps both of us, that's a lot more effective and efficient than um, just trying to like do a bunch of bunch of Instagram posts or whatever people do. Now yeah. there are ways to do that that are much more effective than than other ways. And we can talk about that, but that's the core idea. But I, I it's it it works. The point is, yeah. is I'll use a quick example. I was told and I know because I consult a medical device company that if the representatives of the medical device companies want to get the doctor's attention, they would say, well, we'd like you to be part of a study. Now, this wasn't a, they already had the FDA approval. So they didn't need it, but they wanted to build their esteem that they were part of this study. So what they could do would be convert more of those doctors because they were part of the study. Now, yeah, you could 100%. call that. That's right. You could call that hype, but that is hype. It is a like literally, hey, you want to be part of this special study? Here's the thing, just like you did with the bacon. Now, hype too. Is I, I just want to say that's a hundred percent hype because it plays on human emotion. We all want right. appreciation and we all want exposure. And so yeah. we might think that we're taking part in something because it's it's objective and that's just like how how it's done. But right. we don't really realize we favor those people who give us appreciation and attention. And actually, when I'm talking, I didn't talk about this in the book, but when I'm talking with clients, I often refer to something called the cookbook method. And what that's based on is um, in the 70s, there were these cookbooks that used to come out where they would like solicit recipes from people and their family members and this and that. And then they would right. put the recipes in the books and everyone and all their family would buy the cookbooks, right? Right, right. I mean, <clears throat> the reality is, you can call that in form, hype. Um, Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield did it in that whole big series books that they that they did because they asked people to donate their stories, right? They didn't even right, write the exactly. book. They literally got millions of stories coming in about good things, which it was a good, great book, great series, but it made millions and millions and millions 100%. of dollars. So, yeah. And it was because you were playing to someone's emotion around wanting to tell a story and contribute it and be selected to be part of this book, right? So let's talk about um, a four, number four. 
give the little babies their milk. This one was kind of weird, but it's good. Um, can you tell the several stories in this chapter? You tell them, but speak about the founders of the nation of Islam who adopted this term. And what do you mean by this? And why is this strategy so important? It seemed like it was a good one. Yeah. So no, no one is better at what I'm calling hype than religion. I agree. Uh, and, and, you know, and again, I obviously don't think hype is a negative thing. I've dedicated my life to helping companies and people with good <laughs> ideas hyping themselves up. So I don't think it's a bad thing. Right. But they're really, really sophisticated at it, especially the ones that last. And so um, the nation of Islam is not Islam. You know, it's 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 a completely different religion that some people have moved from that to regular Islam. You know, it's famous to us because of Malcolm X and and Louis Farrakhan and people like that. For 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 however you think of any of those people, Louis Farrakhan as as the guy who's not supposed to eat pork, not my favorite person. But you know, um, but you know, the Nation of Islam was actually started well before that in the thirties, and it was started by this guy Wallace Fard uh, in in uh, Paradise Valley, a part of Detroit, a really bad neighborhood. But by bad, I just mean poor, and a lot of crime and it was an african-american neighborhood and at the time no one in it in in black neighborhoods had heard i don't want to say no one it was not a common thing to be exposed to islam let alone whatever the nation of islam was so this guy started a new religion and it was based on the idea that there was a mad scientist on a distant planet named yakub who created the white race to come down and destroy the black race and and you know it, it the guy tied it to islam but it wasn't really that connected that's a very weird thing as are all religions if you're not used to them i mean if you think of any religion and you didn't grow up with it it's it you're asking people to accept some very unusual things and the thing about human beings is we're very very resistant to new ideas we're resistant to new ideas because new ideas can kill us i mean if you're walking through a through a forest or a jungle and you see these beautiful red berries and you've never seen them before and you just throw them into your mouth there's a good chance you'll die right so we're very resistant to new ideas but what this guy did there's a phrase that not only the nation of islam used but um other religions have used it and and the idea is that little babies can't eat meat you have to we put give them milk and then you give them a little bit of squished up food and then you give them ground up meat and then you give them meat. So you can't just introduce something brand new all at once. So what this guy Wallace Fard did is he would go into this neighborhood where people ate a lot of pork and people, you know, drank alcohol. It was a tough life. And he was really well dressed and he was very slender and nice looking. And, and, and he said he was a silk salesman and he would get into people's homes by doing that. And when he was doing his like sales pitch, they would offer him and whatever pork rinds or a, a beer or whatever and he would say no no i don't eat pork and that was very unusual so they would say why not and he would say well you know for my health and and you know, no no that he wouldn't say that he would just they would assume that he was he was slender he was healthy so they would try to eat like him and, and in a month they would just drop 15 pounds you know what i mean and feel really good and he would come back and they would say wow why how did you get into it he goes what happens to be part of my religion well, what's your religion about? And before long, he was packing basements, right? <laughs> so the idea of if he had just walked into people's homes and said, you know, let me tell you about a brand new thing about a man named Yakub who lives on a distant planet who creates white people. 
they would have they would have he could have they would have thrown him out on his rear. They would have been like, mm-hmm. what the heck is that? But by gradually introducing new ideas, you can um, move people in. Now, how does that apply? Well, not every idea is a new idea, right? If you have, let's say you're a really great business coach, but you're just good at what you do. And there's not really any difference between what your tactics and other people's tactics. You're just better at it. There are different hype strategies to use. But if you're doing something really unusual, really cutting edge, really new, a lot of times what we say to ourselves is, but my stuff is so cutting edge. Why can't people accept it? You're missing the point. They can't accept it because it's cutting edge. So what you need to do is tie it to things they're already used to. So like in, instead of talking about your weird genetic processing you know, thing that's going to grow meat on a tree and that you can eat this meat grown in a laboratory, people will start gagging you you tie it to um you know the impossible burger that's a great example it looks like a regular hamburger and it you know was it was given to us through burger king you know what i mean which we're all familiar with so um yeah it's it's a really great way to package i work with a lot of consultants who are just so boggled that the people that they deal with can't see how brilliant their new ideas are and they're missing the point that that's why people can't see well, if you can tie it to something that people already know and you can make that conversion, maybe not in one big jump, but in smaller little right, exactly. bite-sized pieces, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that right. is, you know, as you say, give little babies their milk, um, it, you were saying, because that is the first step, right? It's like, okay, there it is. Now you have a hype strategy, number five, it's called become a trickster at least for a little while. Um, yeah. Trickster probably doesn't fit with a lot of people's vocabulary because they think of it as negative first when it comes out. Um, you start this chapter off with a story about uh, the god Hermes, uh, to make your point. Can you tell the story and speak with the listeners about why this strategy helps to create attention? Well, this is where I got to be a little nerdy in the book. Um, and I got to talk about mythology because, you know, a lot of times in in the myths of various cultures, they're there for a reason, right? They speak to some human urge or human need. And there's a God, a type of God in almost every um, ancient religion uh, from Hermes in the Greek religion, but Loki, which we all know from the Marvel movies, but that was an actual God in, in, in Northern Europe. Um, there's a monkey king in um, China. You know, there, there are these gods who are not evil per se, but they they play pranks. They cause mischief. They, um, you know, really throw things into disarray. But in doing so, they're usually also creative. They actually create things by being mischievous. So the, the example of um, Hermes, Hermes was the messenger god, the one with the, you know, he's called Mercury in Rome. So he's the quick god who has the little wings on his shoes and all of that. Right. But um, but he uh basically was born as a baby, and gods are really smart from the minute they're born. So he saw Apollo's cattle, and Apollo's cattle was like Apollo's favorite thing. It was his pride and joy. So he stole it. And Apollo found out, and Apollo went crazy. He he was like, Who is this little? rat i'm gonna kill it you know I mean, who's this little shit that stole you know yeah 
He's going to torture him, whatever, whatever gods do to other die, have, have an eagle poke out his liver, you know, whatever, right? Peck out his liver. Um, and, and Hermes was like, hey, man, you know, listen, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Let me do you a favor. I, I'm going to help you out. And he, he took a tortoise shell and he put strings on it and he created the lyre, which is like the, you know, the ancestor of the guitar and, and all of that. And Apollo became the god of music. Hermes got to keep the cattle, you know. And so the idea here is that we often think about being mischievous as like, oh, I can't do that. You know, I run an insurance company. How can I be mischievous, right? Like, how can I, how can I do that? That's not the right thing to do. And it's not dignified. But a lot of times being a little bit mischievous at the right times actually makes people have fun to your earlier point. And, and as long as you're not hurting anybody, that's how you attract attention. I mean, so you know, we saw it in advertising to talk about insurance. There was a every insurance company now has one of these little creatures, right? The Aflac duck, this and that. But Geico. the way it started, that's Geico. how it started. It started yeah. with Geico. It would have been unheard of to have a English, British accented lizard doing these ridiculous commercials for insurance. Insurance is serious. It's about when you die. It's about if you get in a car accident. He's a gecko. <laughs> right. No one could understand. No one could remember Geico. So they created the gecko and it worked. I mean, and 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 so sometimes you have to be willing to take these controlled risks and be playful, always knowing when to dial it back. In other words, you don't want to become Dennis Rodman, right? I mean, Dennis Rodman, a lot of people who aren't basketball fans in the 90s knew who Dennis Rodman was because he had he was very good. But so were a lot of people. But he had bright hair and he did crazy things. But after that, it was time to dial it back and focus on his games, you know, but he just kept going and kept going and kept going. And, and it, he just became a clown and an idiot and he destroyed his career. So you have to calibrate between being attracting attention and adding color and being a clown, which. No yeah, well, we the news stories every day are filled with people that have used this, if you want to call it trickster uh, kind of approach, and it can backfire. Uh, like you just said with Dennis Rodman. So you have to be really careful, but it does warrant you lots of attention uh, to do these kind of things. And if you're trying to get a lot of attention, you know, look, you can, all you got to do is go to social media and you'll see plenty of people playing out this whole trickster thing on social media. It's not. Yeah. And the reason is, is because that hype is getting them more attention to either sell whatever it is they have or do whatever it is they have. And I could point to many and I'm not going to, but I, you know, I've seen plenty of it. Now let's go to strategy seven, Philip, uh, find a void and fill it. And I'd like you to speak about these Fox sisters and the birth of spiritualism and how this became one of the biggest new phenomena of the 19th century. Uh, you state to put this strategy into practice that we should take stock of changes in the world, which are especially disoriented, um, disorientating. And what do you mean by this? Because this was a, I read the story in the book. I got where you're going with this. Um, and I think we ought to relate it, if we can, to a modern day story. Well, as you'll notice, all of the examples that you brought up from the book, including this one, have nothing to do with traditional marketing or business. And that's by design. It's because the things that business people do to get attention, we've all seen those, but it, it 
by only looking at businesses, we follow their herd, right? That's why all of these insurance companies have cartoon mm. characters now and it doesn't right. stand out anymore. So the idea is to look at people who came from nowhere and got huge amounts of attention. And that, this is a great example of that. I, I'm, I'm going to stop you for a second because you keep referring to insurance companies. That's interesting because as I was sitting here thinking, I was thinking about the bad guy brother of Allstate. Allstate has used that guy who pulled the basketball hoop down. Now, you you, you kind of wonder, or he got in car crashes or whatever he did that was reckless. And in your prior one, you were talking about the trickster. There couldn't be anybody more trickster yeah. than that, that guy on Allstate, right? But he's captured the attention. If everybody remembers prior to him, there was an African-American spokesperson for Allstate, right? Who always came on with that really rich voice, yeah, right? Voice, yeah. A baritone voice. And I think my listeners will relate to this. Now they've got a wacky guy whose head is all beat up, right. pulling down basketball hoops to capture your attention. And Progressive uses whatever that woman's name is with the little team of whatever. They've all come up with some kind of hype to get the attention. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but but you know the one who you got to give the most credit to is 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 Geico because they took the risk and I think they got the lion's share of, of I mean no one even knew what I, I would love to see the numbers I I have to look into that of how much that business has grown because I never had heard of that company and my I remember my little daughter when she's thirteen now when she was like two used to say Geico you know. Right. So like it, it, that. Yeah. But if you go back, Michael, and I know this business well, you had to either be a teacher or a government employee to get insurance right. from them. Now right. they don't give a crap. The name okay. is means government insurance, GE, government uh, employee insurance company. That's what they catered to originally. Now it's across the board. So it was kind of special to get, they were appealing to one particular audience. So go on with this. Uh, um, I want to ask you, I'm I, I, uh, but I am curious. I, I'd love to find out, did they diversify into other stuff after they got all the attention from the gecko or did they want to diversify and come up with the gecko to do that? Uh, the answer would be the gecko. They were already diversified, but they wanted to get more attention with the gecko. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, yeah, no, the Fox sisters were just these these girls who lived out in the middle of nowhere uh, in just a small house. And um, they started to hear knocking noises in their house and they called a neighbor over and the neighbor heard it. And everyone became convinced that these girls could talk to the dead. And um, it became a phenomenon. So we've all heard of seances and how that was a big craze in the past. And it's almost like a joke kind of thing now. But that was a really big thing in the in the mid to late 1800s. Um, it, people would gather around and, and they would they would speak to the dead. And, and this was a very scientific age. We don't think of it that way, but it's when the telegraph came out for the first time and the trains, the locomotive. But people thought of it as science. They're like, if we can hear, if signals can be sent through the air, why can't um, spirits of the dead? So the, it all came from the Fox sisters. It spread like wildfire. They they um, had them up 
on this big convention hall in Rochester and tied, you know, bound them so they couldn't, you know, um, do anything. And the knocking noises came out and this, that and the other. So years went by and one of the sisters eventually was overcome with guilt because she knew it was a hoax. And she actually did a public as a young adult, did a public you know, expose or whatever, she got up in front of her and said, listen, I was lying. I was cracking my big toe joint against the floorboards and the sound traveled really quickly. And the funny thing about it is no one cared. They kept doing the seances. They got bigger than ever. And so you think to yourself, well, people are just gullible idiots. Well, no, what you miss there, what you would miss and what I always miss is it was in it was in the wake of the Civil War. And people don't realize how bad the Civil War was for the United States. Mm -hmm. It was an apocalypse. I mean, you know, I mean, World War Two, we lost a lot of people, but the Civil War was for the percentage of the population to this day, the most Americans ever killed in the war. I don't know what the population was, but hundreds of thousands of people died. It it was an it was it was everyone knew a young man a husband or a brother or whatever who died. And they wanted to get in touch with them. That, so that's the, the reality so people, is these seances right. became the spiritualism to actually do that. So it didn't really matter. It was around this belief, right? People wanted um, it so badly. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. of the time. So what, what a lot of people do is they come up with a product and they say, my product is awesome. Let me go find a need that's already out there. And they'll just find whatever need. And that's fine. They'll get a little bit of attention. But if you really want to have a massive spat, splash, look at the dominant needs of the culture, right? And that takes a little doing. But if you can do it, it's really effective. So um, a business example, Tim Ferriss, who a lot of us know, he wrote yeah. the four-hour work week, which right. is this idea that you can outsource everything in your life and just do stuff you want to do. So like um, if you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter what business you do. I mean, sell nutraceuticals, whatever. It doesn't really matter. The idea is to just figure out a way to outsource all of your work to India so you can go and be a kickboxing champion like he was or whatever and serve and whatever. And, And if you work for someone, he would say outsource your work and, you know, and that is a message that would not have resonated in the 1950s because in the 1950s people felt taken care of by their companies they got um you know you could on one income at a blue collar or mid-level white collar job buy a very nice house in the suburbs and save lots of money um people felt that they'd be in their jobs forever they were taken care of vice versa there was a sense of loyalty that came from world war ii And what Tim Ferriss either consciously or unconsciously tapped into was this idea that you're a sucker if you do that now, because they do massive layoffs all the time. There are a lot of what they call bullshit jobs, jobs that just exist, you know, where we're filling up columns on Excel spreadsheets, but are expected to say that we have passion for them and that that we'll dedicate 90 hours a week to them. It's almost impossible to save money. It, uh, people don't, you know, pay benefits the way they used to. People look for any way they can to make you into a temp employee. And people are really frustrated, especially millennials. So what Tim Ferriss was saying is, listen, I'm going to fill that void for you. They said, F you, F them. Outsource your work. Live for yourself. And the book was blew up like wildfire. Blew, blew you up had like crazy. intuitive sense, you know, to understand that. It wasn't just, hey, let me teach you how to. There's been lots of books about productivity. 
You know, that this was more than that. Well, Rita McGrath, who uh, teaches at NYU, I think it is, was on the show uh, quite a ways back. But, you know, she used to talk about Michael seeing around corners, right? And that you have to have this ability, whatever it is, to connect the dots. Yeah. Uh, predictability. Now, marketing is much like that, right? It's like, how are we connecting the dots? How are we seeing around the corners? What is it that we're creating to capture attention or grab someone's attention, yeah. no matter what it might be? Um, and it isn't, I want listeners to understand, hype is not a bad thing. You know, when you see this hype handbook, it's really just human nature. You're playing to the psychology of the individual. You're also playing to their emotions. That is true. But people are making emotional buying decisions every day, right? And what hype is doing is helping them oftentimes get past either a belief or a value or something that's holding them back from making a decision about something that you think could make their life better. Let's put it that way, that you believe could make their life better. Maybe after they buy it, well, they go, shit, this was a piece of junk. But the reality is, is that that happens all the time as well. OK. Um, and, you know, I would say that as the largest online store, Amazon, it's constantly hyping something because they got a full time channel that runs 24 seven for you to look at all the stuff that you could buy on their channel. Right. Yeah. So if you were to leave the listeners with words of wisdom from the book and these are people who are maybe looking to put a little bit of this in their business. Um, three bits of advice. What did you tell them and why is it important for their success and for them not to get hung up around the word hype? <laughs> well, I, I think the first piece of wisdom would be building on what you just said. It, it's the idea that human beings don't make decisions based on accuracy. They make decisions based on how our brains process information, which is based around shortcuts because we can't deal with all the information that we're receiving. So, and that's why magic works, you know, stage magic, because we don't see the world accurately. So it might look like something disappears when it didn't. So you can either say to yourself, I don't like that fact of reality. And I'm just going to give people straightforward stuff and let them you know, deal with it and fail because you almost certainly will will not reach the heights of what you want to get out into the world if you do. Or you can say to yourself, people digest information the way they digest information. I'm selling something really good that makes their life better. I vowed that I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to leave people worse off than I found them. So it's actually my moral imperative to present things in a way that gives people the op the opportunity to find out about and buy into the great ideas because the bad guys already know how to do this so i would say it's beyond not a bad thing that if you actually have a moral framework and if you have this strong internal code it's it's your we need more good guys and good ladies out there doing this stuff because the bad guys are doing it already so that's the first thing um, the second thing is experiment, experiment, experiment. You know, um, there are all these books out there and courses out there that tell you how to do exactly this thing in marketing to get there. It's like put four landing pages up, use nine Instagram posts and word it exactly like this and you'll make seven figures. 
And yeah, who knows? You can probably learn something from some of this. But the problem is the minute that everyone is doing it, it's usually already too late because you lose the competitive advantage. So right. what I would say is get, get really into understanding the core umbrella principles. Like how do human beings really tick? And then based on that knowledge, do really quick experiments and kill the ones that don't work and ramp up the ones that do. Because the actual way that this hype stuff happens, you never know. It gives you a much better, um, you know, your rate of success is going to be higher if you're doing marketing experiments based on real psychology rather than just throwing spaghetti against a wall. But you should be doing quick experiments and killing the ones that don't. The more you put out there, the, the more lottery tickets you have. And, and then the third thing, and this is more of a general piece of advice than something specifically about hype, but it's really guided my career. You know, it always be looking for the side doors. So many of us are so focused on getting in through a front door that even if it has 17 locks on it and it's made of giant oak, <laughs> we keep just banging our elbow against it thinking, well, I have to be resilient. I have to be tough. I have to be a go-getter. And we don't understand why all that's happening is that our shoulder is getting bruised. Yeah. But what if instead you said to yourself, I'm going to look for all the windows and back doors that someone might have forgotten to lock. So an example is I always wanted to be a writer and I tried doing it the artsy way, which I, I'm glad I tried, you know, but it didn't work out for me. And then I tried writing some fiction in the mornings when I was at my corporate job, something I still have fun with, but and, and do. But um, one day I saw an article in a writer's magazine that I was buying because of fiction that talked about white papers, how you could make $3,000 to write a business to business white paper. And I said, you know, I know how to do that. I understand business. I understand writing. So I started to do that. And by doing that, I, I from that first step, I built a career where I get to write for a living. I just wrote a book that I'm very proud of that is that uses a lot of what I do in my fiction writing, a lot of storytelling, a lot of that. And as a result, people have been engaged with it. And I get to wake up every day and engage in a life that's based around all my skill sets, all of my interests that just looks a little different than how I thought it would look. And I think being open to that and looking for those side doors instead of stubbornly slamming against the front door is, is really useful. It's so important what you say, and I think uh, if people remove the fear or the risk that they think is going to happen to them or their business, you know, at your at your website, it's microfame, F-A-M-E, media.com, you say, we make idea-driven businesses famous. And I think, you know, a lot of times we have ideas, we just don't know how to implement the idea, or we right. don't know how to get attention around the idea. And you've said that throughout this. So anybody listening right now who wants and owns a business saying, hey, I have a great new idea. Um, you know, I saw, I just use a crazy example. I was at my dog park the other day. This guy got out of his car and it said UV caps on his license plate. And I said, what the heck is that? And he said, we, we make, he said, go to chromecaps.com. I was like, Chrome caps? What the hell is a Chrome cap? And he goes, well, you know, a lot of people who are bald or a lot of people have thinning hair or a lot of people, whatever, their head sunburns. I've uh, created this thing that literally ref you wear and pushes the, the UV rays off of it. And I'm like, hey, what a great idea. You know, I mean, 
hey, he said that that it has gone crazy. Uh, and I, I give the guy credit yeah. because, you know, he actually patented it and everything as we were talking. This is the Hype Handbook. Michael Shine is the guy you want to go. Uh, two websites, microfamemedia.com is one. Or you can go to Michael F, as in Frank, shine.com. Uh, what's the F stand for? Do we get it? It's, <laughs> it's really bad. It, it's Farley. <laughs> and I was actually named after a rest stop on the highway, which I found out recently. So we can talk about why that is. It's, I, I, I still curse my mother. Very for, appropriate for the work you're doing to be named yeah, after it, a rest stop. Yeah, on the I highway. love her dearly, but I, I don't know. I guess my head is really big and it took 22 hours to come out and she was mad at me. So I don't know. Well, I'll give a, a really quick story here and then we'll wrap this up. We were driving to Las Vegas, my wife and myself. I don't remember for what. And she was pregnant and we heard a story about Chad Everett. And I said, how about Chad for his name? <laughs> So that's really? how my second son got named was yeah. after Chad Everett. Great minds think alike. You should have been in my family. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes parents use weird ways because you know you're coming trying to figure out a name. Oh, great! Yeah. There's that rest stop. I think you know we're, we're going to name it Farley. You're yeah, like trying the Frank S. Farley Service Plaza. I've been to it many times. <laughs> Well, maybe they should put a plaque there going, you know, the high handbook guy was named after this. <laughs> well, Michael, it's been a pleasure I'm having a, you on. Anyone out there, if you, if you. Go ahead. I was just going to say anyone out there, if you want to write a letter to the Pennsylvania senator to make that happen, that would be uh, really helpful to me. I will we'll definitely see if we can get that started. And I think there's only one person that could hype it. That would be you. <laughs> All right, Michael, it's a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. Everyone go out, get a copy of this book, especially if you got a great idea that you're trying to launch or get off the ground. Contact Michael because he can help you. He's got a whole team of people. He's a writer, a speaker. Uh, he's done all this many, many times for many businesses and quite successfully. Uh, so thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing some of your wisdom about how you got where you are and how you're helping others use the hype handbook and these 12 success principles to get where they need to go. Thanks so much. Thanks, Greg. This really was a ton of fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.